0: Welcome to the study of God's Word with Pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to the book of Jude, the book of Jude, right before Revelation. And we're going to pick up there in verse 20 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Keep Yourselves in the Love of God. And so Jude, when he, Jude, by the way, is the half-brother of Jesus. When he started to write this letter to believers, he fully intended for it to be a letter of encouragement. But the Holy Spirit took him on a, uh, took him on a turn and it became a strong word of admonishing and exhortation. It became a strong word of warning about false teachers and false teachings and to be careful and watch out for them. He compares them to some really difficult metaphors, you know, using things to say, hey, man, it's not a good ending for false teachers. It's not a good ending for those that turn their backs on the Lord and stumble people. And then he gets back to, he gets back to this, no, but you guys, but you guys, He says in verse 17, he says, but you, beloved, he says, remember the words which are spoken before by the apostles through the Lord Jesus. But you, beloved, it's a good reminder for us today, a couple of things here in this text in verse 17 is, hey, but you, there's always always an alternative pathway for the believer in the midst of a dark and difficult world. You know, you got everything going on around you. You got all this drama in the world, all this drama in your family, all this drama at work. And then you're like, no, but you, it's different for you. You have a different pathway, a different set of instructions, a different way of responding to things as a born again believer. It's different for the believer, but you. And notice what he says in verse 17. He says, but you guys, with all these difficulties, all these challenges, but you beloved, remember the words that were spoken of uh, before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Exactly where we are in the book of Acts. Remember that the early church was strong because they chose to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. Judah's saying the same thing here. But you guys, with all these false teachers, with all these difficulties, everything, but you, you stay in the word. You stay and remember, don't forget the way you were taught, what you were given. Not only that, notice, now pick up in verse 20. It says, "'But you, beloved,' same phrase, "'you, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, "'keep yourselves in the love of God, "'looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ "'unto eternal life. "'On some have compassion, making a distinction, "'but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, "'hating even the garment defiled by the flesh.'" Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. So, Jude finishes up a very difficult letter with one of the most beautiful, powerful doxologies in all of the scripture and you say well Ed what is a doxology? A doxology is a declaration of praise to God or a brief hymn expressing his power and glory. Even though the word itself doesn't appear in the Bible the concept is all over and we see one here beginning in verse 24 and 25. It's like you just pause and begin to think on the goodness of God. You pause and begin to declare it to him. And he gives this final instruction, keep yourselves in the love of God, you beloved. Don't ever forget your precious privileged place in relationship with God. It's unique to born again believers where you not only know of God's love but you literally experience it. A real true love, not the type of love that the world describes, You know, very syrupy and sweet and romantic. But the love of God is a self-sacrificial love, a love that gives. I mean, as you study through the scriptures, you find that love is an action, not a feeling. Although feelings may be involved, love always leads to action and service. Remember what God said, that Jesus himself, when he was talking to Nicodemus, he said that God so loved the world that he gave. Love and action, they go together. And even though we're going to learn in a few moments how to keep ourselves in the love of God, there's going to be a lot of activities that will help you before you ever do anything, remember what God has done for you. Before you ever do anything, remember that God is the initiator. The Bible teaches us, and we know this to be true, like we we actually don't even need the Bible to tell us this, but we understand it, where the Bible says that we love God, why? Because he first loved us. It's like a response. How can we not? How can we not respond with love? How can we not respond with this self-sacrificial surrender to the God who loves us? And so we remember how God's love surrounds us, is the only place of blessing, the place of supernatural strength, the place of endurance. God's love is ever around us. You know, when he says to keep yourselves in the love of God, it speaks to the mind. This is an instruction for our mind. It speaks to where you are in your thinking. It speaks of like Jesus said in John 15, to stay there. Like you already experienced the God's love, so stay there, remain. Remember what Jesus said? Abide in me and I will abide in you. Stay put, don't move, don't leave, stay focused. Remember what we learned in Hebrews, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the father his love is to us god's love is for us god's love is in us and so stay there enjoy it access it experience it share it you could think of for the believer like god loves this world but it's special toward the believer it's relational I think a a great example of that is, you know, the kids around the church here, I love the kids. I love the kids. I love your kids. I love to talk to them, learn from them, bless them, pray for them. But I love my kids more. I love my kids way more than your kids. Why? Because of relationship. They're my kids. These These are the children that God has entrusted to me to care for. But it doesn't diminish the love that I have for your kids. It's just different. It's a different love. But you know, both the love for my kids, the love for your kids, it all comes from the Lord. It's something special, it's a gift that he gives to us, not only to experience it, but to share it, to extend it. And the love of God is something special for you. And the love of God is something special for me because we're his kids. Don't ever forget that. You'll see in a moment, you're like, but Ed, how could I ever forget that? By the time we're done, you'll see that it's very easy to forget the love of God, even as you are engaged in all kinds of religious behavior, even as you're trying to do the right thing, even as you want to live a moral life, you can do all of those things outside of the love of God. We're not conscious of it, not keeping yourself in a place where you're enjoying his love. So here's a few things to answer the question, because if you're asking a question, how do I keep myself in the love of God? Jude answers it as you start in verse 20, if you're taking notes here, number one, you want to keep yourselves in the love of God. Number one, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. That, that is step number one. At least hear what Jude says. You're to build upon the foundation of your faith. You are to continue to build. And that word in the original language means exactly how it's translated in the English. The, the Christian life is one of growing and building never staying the same and not going backwards. It's going forwards. We are building upon the solid foundation. Jesus used that illustration, remember? He compared those two people that were building their house, one on the solid rock and one on the sand. And as they were building, what tested the strength of their homes and what they were building? It was the foundation. The foundation was tested by the storms and the difficulties of life. And the guy that chose to build on the shifting sands lost it all. Completely lost it all. But you and I have the privilege of building our homes on the rock. On the the strong foundation of Christ. Christians are to be builders, not destroyers. Did you know that? that? There's even a Bible word for that. It's the Bible word edify. Edify means to build up. And in our world, the responsibility of you and me is to build one another up and to be builders in this world, not destroyers. There's enough people wanting to tear down, destroy, you know, just wipe people out, wipe people's faith out. There's so much negativity surrounding us. It is the role of the church to build up and to be used by God to build each other, believer and unbeliever alike. You have the privilege of loving people in Jesus' name, not destroying them through sarcasm and criticism and on and on that the list could go. You wanna keep yourselves in the love of God, be a builder. Build yourself on the faith. Build yourself up on the faith. Secondly, notice he says in verse 20, or again at the end there, praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying, this can mean one of two things. One, praying in the Holy Spirit could refer to those of you with the gift of tongues that you can pray in tongues to the Lord. And it could be an an emphasis upon praying in the Spirit, praying in tongues. But it can also refer to those that don't have the gift of tongues or anyone to pray in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, to to pray in a surrendered place, to, to be in a position where the Holy Spirit, even where the Bible says that there are times we don't know what to say. In Romans chapter 8 verse 26, it says, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses, for we don't know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. The Spirit of God helping us in our prayers. I want you to notice here what Jude does is what God has been doing with us as a church. And what, we, what God is doing with us as a church is bringing us back to basics. It's just simplicity. We don't need to overcomplicate things. And right out of the gate here, what does Jude say? In order to keep yourselves in the love of God, read the Bible and pray every day. That's basically what he says. Hey, remember what the apostle says. Remember the teachings, verse 17. And now he's telling us to pray. Live a life of building your life upon the rock. I'm telling you, I wish, if you will just, if you will just trust me week after week, as I, as I beg you, as I encourage you, as I exhort you, if you will just trust me by reading your Bible and praying every day, there will be a change in your life. There will be. And I know some of you might have a hard time trusting pastors, you hurt somewhere, or some, and you're like, so I'm just asking you to come back to the place, trust God and His word and read it every day, and pray every day, and you will find yourself in a position to enjoy the love of God. You'll learn about his character and his nature. I mean, the things that, that are taking up time other than God's word and prayer are not helping you, taking you away from the love of God. You know, when we pray in the spirit, the spirit prays through us. When we take in the word of God, we receive from him. When we pray, we communicate with him. It reminds us that, again, it's a battle for the mind and it's a battle for perspective as we're reminded of the eternal. You want to keep yourselves in the love of God? Pray. Thirdly, notice he says at the end of verse uh, 21, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Looking for, you want to keep yourselves in the love of God? You will be looking for the return of the Lord. I mean, Jesus Christ promised to come back. And this phrase here where it says looking for in the original language remember the new testament is written in the Greek language so the tense of this word would be translated in English continually looking where there is never a time where you're not anticipating the eternal state the return of the Lord. Wouldn't everything change for the positive if Jesus came back today? I mean, wouldn't all the things you're carrying, all the difficulties you're facing, all the issues in life, all, every, all of it, wouldn't it be subtle if you met the Lord face-to-face today? Yes? Are you guys whispering? Yes, Ed. Everybody's whispering. Everybody online, and I know you, there's nobody in the room right now, but the ones that are, they're whispering. Amen, Ed. Amen. 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 Let me try it again. Wouldn't the coming of the Lord solve all your problems? Okay, so, so why aren't you looking for him? Oh, it stopped, huh? Oh. Well, because we get caught up in life. You know, we have our goals and our dreams and we have our possessions and we have our worries and anxieties and just layer after layer after layer after layer takes us away from the love of God. It takes us away from anticipating being reunited with him. The very reason why we're saved is to be in relationship with him. And we'll, we'll experience the fullness of that revelation at his return. The Bible calls the return of Christ a blessed hope. A blessed hope. The, the culmination of all history. The expectation of Jesus keeps our present reality in perspective. The temporary is fading But Jesus is eternal. The the cares and concerns of life, they grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious grace. The word and prayer, the anticipation. There's a Bible word for that too and Paul uses it when he's writing to the church in Corinth. He uses that word Maranatha. That word means even so, Lord, come quickly. It has the idea of anticipating his return. Where all that we have desired will come to pass you keep yourselves in the love of God church it's such a great reminder but understand it's not an encouragement to keep yourselves in the love of God so you'll be saved keep yourself saved that's not what it means it doesn't mean keep yourself in a place where God will love you keep yourself in a place where you deserve it keep your no keep yourself in a place where you enjoy his love because this is a loveless life in world already already just a doggy dog world. I, I remember, I remember the, one of the first Bible studies I heard on the radio was a Bible study by Pastor Chuck Smith way back. And it was on this text. He was talking about keep yourself in the love of God. And I remember the illustration he used. He used, he used the, he compared the love of God to like the sun and its rays and its heat and everything beneficial from the sun. He says, all you need to do is go out and enjoy it. You don't need to do anything else. Just go and be in the sun, be in the rays, and just take in all the benefits, the vitamin D, and everything that comes from the sun, the heat, the light, and everything. However, if you take out an umbrella, and you open it up, and you stand under the umbrella, you're no longer enjoying the benefits of the sun. It's still shining. It's still all around you, but you have purposely covered it and hid yourself from it. And I find so many believers, they live the same way. They, they, they allow all of the, the urgence and all the difficulty and all the hopelessness of this world because the world is just has no hope. They, they, where are they going to look to? Well, you know, they made a decision over here. It didn't work. Oh, and science said this. didn't work. Oh, and this one. It didn't work. didn't work. didn't work. Why? Because the world's temporary. God's going to refashion this world. He's going to bring this world back to its beautiful, pristine existence like it was in the Garden of Eden but only those that have a relationship with him will be able to enjoy it. Or even have that hope in them. We're reminded and encouraged by Jude today that with everything that's happening around us, that we're to keep ourselves where we can enjoy and experience and be affected by God's love. Some of you are still not convinced. You're thinking, well, I'm a Christian. I love God, he loves me. There's never a time where I could be outside of the love of God. I mean, I understand that, but you'd be incorrect. If you think that, you'd be incorrect. Just about 40 or 50 years later, Jesus, after the, after the planting of a church in the city of Ephesus, that's where we get our Bible book Ephesians from. It's a letter written to a church in the city of Ephesus. And, and in that letter, Paul's going, you guys have so much, you're doing so much, you're such a great church, it's amazing. And it's like everybody wants to be the church of Ephesus until you get to Revelation. So turn over to Revelation with me in chapter 2. Because just about 40 years later, this is the same church. Probably many of the same people. And if they're not in the church, they're in the city still. And listen to what Jesus' assessment is. From Jude, it's only a couple pages over to the right. Listen to Jesus' assessment. And consider yourself as you read this. Consider our church here. In verse 1, it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And then listen, this is amazing. I know your works, your labor, your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles and are not, and have found them liars. You've persevered, you have patience, you've labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Now, This is a great description. Listen to this church. They're active, full of good works. They're discerning. They they have pressed through the challenges. They have patience. They're laboring. They're they're not weary. They haven't given up. But they've got a big problem. There's a huge problem. The very next word in verse 4 is nevertheless. And that's not a word you want to hear from Jesus. Good, 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 good. Nevertheless. Listen to what he says. I have this against you. You have, if you haven't marked this already, you need to in your Bible, circle the word left. They left their first love. This is what Jude's saying. Keep yourself in the love of God or you will leave it. That's exactly what Jude is saying. Oh, you'll still be busy. You'll still be active. There'll still be religious actions from you. You even can be discerning. As a matter of fact, I've found in these latter days, these discernment ministries, as much as it is important to have discernment, many discernment ministries are so loveless and such, in such a place where they're destructive in the ways that they report and destructive in the ways that they are discerning. No, we're to be discerning in love, speaking the truth in love says, you can have all this activity, church. You can be known by your works and your endurance and your patience, but Jesus has a problem. You've left your first love, and this is the only way to get back. Verse five, remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, or else I'll come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Now, there's a lot of debate on removing your lampstand. The lampstand represents a church. Like What I believe it is, is that you're going to be removed from a place of prominence and usefulness if you want to keep doing everything you're doing without love. If if you just want the outward show instead of the inward relationship, you can keep doing whatever you want. It's almost like Jesus said, you can can keep all the activity up, but you're just not going to have the place that you could have if you would come back to me. And I wonder how many churches that applies to. I wonder where it applies to us. Like we're not immune. Everybody, every pastor that reads the letter to the Ephesians there from Jesus in Revelation always thinks it's about some other church. Maybe not. Maybe it's about our church. Maybe it's about you and about me. Perhaps God is speaking to us as we end out a year to reevaluate our lives as it relates, not to our activities, not to how we're known in the community, Not how, whatever actions we take place, but are we a church that everything we're doing is in the love of God? Where we're enjoying it ourselves, but we're also extending it to others. Like we're living out the literal agape of God. Well, he gives you an example of how to do that. Come back to Jude as we wind down here. In verse 22. Now that he's established that you're going to remain in love, then he goes, this is how you're going to deal with different people. And he gives us two types. He says, on some have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment that's defiled by the flesh. So there is compassion and intensity when it comes to ministering to people, and in this case... In light of false teaching, in light of false teachers, he gives you two types of people to to care for and how to care for them. First of all, in verse 22, he says, there are those that you need, well, first of all, before we get to that, first of all, there needs to be a distinction. So church, I wanna remind you that you need to deal with people differently and you won't know how to deal with anybody until you pray about it, until you pray and you enter into people's lives prayerfully and carefully. Everybody experiences things differently. So you need to make a distinction. You can't, I I guess the best way that we describe is you don't have a cookie cutter approach on how you deal with people. Everybody's different. And so you're gonna walk into, and every situation is different. Oh, but Ed, I've I've ministered to so many marriages. Not this one. Well, yeah, I have. I've ministered to a marriage for two years. And so when they walk in, I know I got all that. No, you don't know what you're walking. You don't have any idea until you ask them what you're dealing with, right? The Bible says, to trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. So whenever you're stepping into someone's life, you want to do it prayerfully, you want to do it carefully, and you've got to make a distinction. In this case, there's two types of people. First of all, there are those to have compassion on. The idea of compassion is coming alongside someone emotionally, carefully. Another word you could use to describe this is empathetically. You're not just feeling bad for someone, you're feeling bad with someone. You're with them. You are compassionately caring for them. I think in in light of the context of Jude, verse 22 would refer to those that waver, doubt, uh, are unstable. Uh, Maybe maybe they're just battling, just kind of learning and growing. You want to be compassionate with them. On the other hand, in verse 23, others you need to save with fear. You pull them out of the fire hating even the garments defiled by the flesh. It it gets the idea of just, man, you gotta go take care of it and just remove them. And it doesn't matter what they look like, what they smell like, doesn't matter. Get them out of that situation. To this, I think Jude would be referring to those that are taking advantage of the flock, those in rebellious sin, those that are unrepentant. You're gonna be a little more firm with them. And in in this, I think in a broader application, I like to take, you you minister to people differently. And most of the time, you can minister to people and serve them. The word minister just means serve. You can serve people by coming alongside of them. And so that first part, I kind of picture myself, put my arm around you. Let's just walk together. Let's just talk about it. Let's get you talking. Let's see what the Holy Spirit. It reminds me of Jesus. Remember with, uh, at the end of Luke that had those two guys on the road to Emmaus? What did he do? He just walked with them, talk with them. And, it's, and, and out of talking with them, he drew so much out of them to encourage them eventually giving him the whole Bible, giving him a whole Bible study from beginning to end of how it pointed to him. And and most of the time, that's ministry. We don't have to be hard-hearted about it. We don't have to be tight-fisted about it. We don't have to take the Bible and use it as a weapon and hurt or harm anyone. Hey, just walk with him, listen, ask the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom, and I get that picture of just walking alongside. However, there are other people that require a face-to-face strong admonition and exhortation. False teachers would be that those that would want to do harm to the church, those that would want to do harm to believers, those that would want to divide. There's all kinds of categories. Those in unrepentant sin, those committing adultery, those in I mean, on and on the list could go. Those that you need to be a strong admonition and a warning. Hey, that's not from the God. That is not God's desire. That that is what you're involved in is sin. And you just pull them out. It's a it, it, it speaks of this 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 strong, the stronger uh, for a lack of a better word, exhortation, a strong word. In church, we need to make a distinction in ministering to others. Compassion and intensity, they're both needed. Now, some of you think you have the gift of intensity. You don't. You got to make a distinction. Even if you are an intent, even if you have a gift of exhortation and that's how God uses you, that doesn't mean that's how he always uses you. So, well, you know, I'm just an exhorter, so I just go and pull everyone from the fire. Well, then you're disobedient, because the Bible says you need to make a distinction. You don't know what you're in here. You don't know what they need. You think you know what they need until the Lord tells you. Same with compassion. Sometimes you're so compassionate. Sometimes you're so emotional that you don't ever deal with the truth. And so, you say, well, that's just how God made me. He made me very—well, sometimes you got to speak the truth in love. And how do you know? The Lord will give you the distinction. The distinction. Then he ends here with this doxology, right? Because now the real key keeping yourself in the love of God is get your eyes back on the Lord. Because false teaching and false living, and by the way, false teaching will always lead to false living. Did you know that? What you believe will dictate how you behave. That's why I can watch your behavior and back up from your behavior and tell you what you believe. Because your behavior dictates that. What you believe, that's why sound doctrine, sound teaching, why reading your Bible every day and praying will help you have a right understanding of God. Because when you have a right understanding of God, your behavior follows. It says, we don't need to teach you how to behave. We just need to teach you to love God. He'll teach you how to behave. You can follow God. You can trust him. He'll lead you and guide you and help you in your life. He is all sufficient for every need and utterly reliable in every way for you and for me. You know, so false teaching though within a church among believers can create all kinds of pain, hardship, chaos, apostasy takes place. We learn that through our study in Jude, backsliding, lying, manipulating, people getting hurt, destroyed, people turning their back on God because of false teaching. And even the false teachers can't be completely written off until they're warned and called back to repentance. Give them a chance. You know, the Bible says reject a divisive person after the first and second admonition. You even have to teach the truth to false teachers and those that are listening to false teaching. And the key is right here in verse 24. He says, now to him. And this is the beginning of the doxology. Okay, with all that's going on and that they and you know really where it is with Jude is now to him. And notice some of the benefits. I love this. It says to him, number one, who is able to keep you from stumbling. You know, God is able to keep you from stumbling. You're not always able to keep you from stumbling, but God is always able to keep you from stumbling. You can trust him with your life. He will help you avoid the stumblings of temptation and sin. We are not capable of keeping ourselves, but He is, like in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, it says, now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we think or ask, according to the power that works in us, to Him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever amen remember what peter said in first in second peter chapter 1 he said that we are kept by the power of god remember what jesus said in john chapter 10 no one is able to snatch you out of the father's hands why because he is able to keep you and me from stumbling not only that notice secondly he is able to present you faultless it is super, super hard for us to consider ourselves as faultless because if anybody knows our own faults, it's us. We know our imperfections. We know our weaknesses. We know our faithlessness. We know our trust. We know, I mean, there's, I don't think there's any day we could look, wake up, look in the mirror and go, oh, Mr. Faultless, Mrs. Faultless. But the Bible says that God is able to keep you and present you faultless. You go, but Ed, how is that even possible? By the blood of Jesus Christ. By the blood of Jesus Christ. You know, I tell you to read the Bible, pray every day, because it, you just never know how God's gonna use it. In my devos this morning, amazing the verse that I came across. Turn over to Isaiah. It fits so well with today. Look at Isaiah and go to chapter 44. Isaiah's right there before Jeremiah. Isaiah 44. Just reading through my devos this morning, through Isaiah, and this verse, these, this, this truth, it, it was, it's a truth that God wanted the children of Israel to understand, and now how much more in Christ. Listen to what he says in, in verse 21. Isaiah 44, verse 21. Remember these, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I formed you, and you are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me for I have redeemed you. It doesn't say I will, it says I have. It doesn't say one day. He says through their sacrificial system, he says, I have blotted out your sins. And now today, how much more in Christ? God is able to present you faultless. I know you live under your faults. We did a whole study in a series about condemnation, how the Bible says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ. Why? Because our faults are ever before us. I mean, I wonder how many of you, you know, had a fault on the way to church today, just on the way to gathering, something in your mind, some action, maybe a fight in the car or whatever. Whatever it is, like we're we're beset by our faults, but not when our eyes are on the Lord. When our eyes are on the Lord, hey, we're remembering, God's gonna present me faultless. He's gonna remove condemnation through the blood of Jesus Christ. Notice the next one. He's gonna present me before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And I'm just reminded today, by the grace of God, you are going to make it. Do you know that? You're gonna make it. You're gonna wake up in the presence of the Lord. I know sometimes you don't feel like it, but by the grace of God, by the power of God, according to the promises of God, he is gonna present you, he is gonna be there, he's gonna present you faultless before the presence of his glory. You're gonna be there. You're gonna be there. It might be a surprise to you. It might be a surprise to us, but you're gonna be there. We're gonna make it. God is gonna get us through, why? Because what he began in you, Philippians chapter one, he will complete until the day of Jesus Christ. Because the Bible promises that God will will perfect that which concerns me. It's not your works, it's not your deeds, it's not you checking off all the boxes and doing everything you're told. It is your abiding in Christ and his blood, covering your sins, removing your sins. One day, Jesus is gonna present you to the Father, and as he presents you and me to the Father, he's gonna present us forgiven, he's gonna present us cleansed, he's gonna present us kept by his power. I'm telling you, there's joy in the presence of the Lord. And you get your eyes back on him. Not only that, notice in verse 25, to God our Savior, notice, who alone is wise, wisdom, Jesus is infinitely wise. He possesses all wisdom. You know, James would say that if any of you lacks wisdom, that you can ask of God and God will give to you wisdom. And you know the context of that in James chapter one is in the midst of trials and difficulties and challenges and you don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. You don't know where to go. You can ask God for wisdom. He alone is wise. I know you can go to a friend but if he doesn't give you the wisdom of God, you don't need it. I know you can go to to a relative, but if they don't come with the wisdom of God, you need to go to the one that alone is wise. You don't want a bunch of opinions. Well, you know, if I was you, well, praise God, you're not me. What does God say? I need to know what God says. Like, this is serious. my life. This is my family. What does God want me to do? And many times, what God wants us to do is very counterintuitive to our humanity. Oh, we wanna fight back, God says, be quiet. No, 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 I don't wanna be quiet. God, we want revenge, God says, turn the other cheek. Oh, no, no, no. God said, we wanna act, and God says, wait. You say, okay, Lord, you alone are wise. Notice, he says in verse 25, Be glory to God our Savior. Be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Jesus claims in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18, even before he sends us out to make disciples, what does he say? All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. All glory, all power, all dominion belongs to him. And he will reign forever and ever. So imagine this, my friend, think for a moment today of finally being at home with Jesus. Think of that place of pure rest, that that place of passionate worship in the eternal realm. How about this? Think of this, being at home in heavenly realm, being reunited with those that have gone before. What a heavenly reunion awaits us. It's gonna be so beautiful and so wonderful. And it's amazing, the older we get, the more of our friends and family go before us. A piece of our lives are in heaven even now as we await that heavenly reunion of those who died in Christ. I know now it can be hard and confusing and chaotic. I know now that many are again scared and afraid, mad and even frustrated. But church, there is coming that day when it all would be done away and God's promises remain. Look up. For his redemption draws near. And as you and I choose to keep ourselves in the love of God, we have this constant taste of what's to come. We're like living, you know, in a in a place of taste of hope, taste of heaven, taste of what it's gonna be like. Every time we sing, every time we sing, there's gonna be singing in heaven around the throne room of God. Every time we think of God's faithfulness, we experience it. We're going to have the fullness of his faithfulness and his experience. As the worship team comes up, I want to end with a scripture. Would you turn over to Zephaniah chapter 3? Now, you're like, where in the world is that? Okay, go to Malachi. You go, what? That doesn't help, Ed. Okay, okay, look. The last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. Zephaniah is just a couple books to the left. So if you see Zechariah, it's right there. Go, keep going left page by page. And by the way, as you're learning the Bible, because you need to learn the Bible, the table of contents is fine. Just keep your finger there all the time. Or we have down in the store these little tabs that you can add to your Bible, and you can just see them right there, and you can pick them out, and you go, oh, until you learn the books of the Bible, you'll learn them eventually. Notice Zephaniah chapter 3. Zephaniah chapter 3. I love this. Pastor Ian's going to be leading us in a song uh, with the worship team that that comes from this text. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. And before I read it, I just want you to consider this. We're talking about how we respond to God. We're talking about how we sing to him, how we're worship, how we're hopeful in him. Have you ever considered and have you ever even thought how God sings over you? That's how beloved you are. God sings over you. It's sort of like, you know, like in the nursery right now, we think, you know, that sometimes to calm the babies down, that those in the nursery will sing over the babies. I know a habit that I've picked up over the years that kind of helps me to go to sleep and helps my mind be in the right frame of reference before I sleep is I, I have worship music playing. So the atmosphere uh, is worship so that my mind could just be focused on the Lord. Even here in the building, when, we're, when it's all closed up, there's worship music playing all throughout the building, 24 hours out onto the parking lot. Because if anybody wants to do anything and steal from me, are they going to have to do it against somebody singing about Jesus right in their ears? This is gonna, they're going to have to go, and then the Holy Spirit's going to be with them, like the guys that took our catalytic converters. Would you please bring them back? And they did it even with the songs. But here we go, verse 16. Verse four, actually, go verse 14. It says, single daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He's cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion, let your hands not be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, The mighty one he will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you in his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. The Old Testament is written in the Hebrew. That word rejoice actually has this sense of exciting song and dance. That's God's perspective over his children. Singing and dancing over your life. Knowing that he has hope for you that he'll keep his promises for you. And even as we sing this song, it's a familiar one from years and years ago. It's a beautiful reminder of the faithfulness of God as we head into this new year. As we end a year, and maybe the Lord will give us a new year, we can think about his love and his goodness and his grace. And so, Father, we pray for your spirit to bring to pass the things that we've learned and studied this morning. We do ask God, for your love to be ever around us and in us and through us, that truly you would have your way and we would respond by keeping ourselves in a place and a position of enjoying the love that is ours so freely by faith in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together, church.